0: 80 years, It's a long, long time uh, that, he, that he was served as, as a prophet. Um, his calling, it's kind of weird, in chapter 6, we see Israel commissioning, really, um, for what the Lord's doing, but he's already been, there's kind of what appears to be some uh, parts and pieces of him prophesying there in, uh, in Judah. And let me just real quickly, let me tell you where we're at. This is about 740 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah split, you remember, after Solomon? and so they're now two separate kingdoms, and what's happening in Isaiah, part of what's happening in Isaiah, is the northern kingdom God is about to ransack. He's about to take it away. The Assyrians are going to come, and he's going to uh, use the Assyrians to absolutely overwhelm the northern kingdom. One of the reasons for that is, is that they turn to Assyria, and they turn to Egypt for help instead of turning to God. Also, we know that, that just you, you'll see all, these, all this stuff in Isaiah, but also in all those other what they call pre-exilic, so prior to the exile of, of Israel, um, you start to see all of these guys, Hosea and, and uh, Isaiah and, um, did I say Isaiah twice? Hosea, Isaiah, so many A's. Um, all those guys um, are prophesying and they're, and they're telling him, they're saying, because you've neglected the poor, because you've had idols, because you've forgotten and forsaken the Lord, I'm going to send you this trouble. And boy, is it trouble. He, he raises up the Assyrians, and then, then he's going to raise up the Babylonians, and then he's finally going to raise up the Persians for them to return. But at this point in history, they're two separate kingdoms. They're still intact, at least for now, until about 722 B.C., for about 20 more years. 722 B.C., uh, the king of Assyria is going to come lay waste to the, to the northern kingdom of Israel. One of the reasons of the, for that is that the northern kingdom uh, makes a pact with um, the king of Aram. You, you saw this earlier in Isaiah. He makes a king of Aram. And the, so the northern king, kingdom makes a uh, a, a pact with the, with the king of Aram and says, hey, let's go take over Judah, the southern kingdom. And that's it. God says, I'll, I'll have no more of this. So he protects. God tells Isaiah and actually tells Isaiah to tell the king, tell the king, don't be worried. I'm going to protect the Southern Kingdom and it will not fall yet, okay? which would come another time. But they would not allow it to fall to the to the Assyrians. Okay, so in so what we have here is that um, we have a there's a king in uh, in Judah in the Southern Kingdom in Judah and his name is Uzziah, and um, Uzziah was made king when he was 16 years old. The account of his life, if you want to read it a little later in Second Corinthians chapter 20, I'm sorry, Second Chronicles, sorry. Corinthians, that's really funny, isn't it? In Second Chronicles chapter twenty-six, you can read all about his story, as kind of his biography, if you want to take some notes there. But let me tell you quickly what happens. Uzziah is a great king, and it says that basically, as long as he sought the Lord, the Lord gave him success. He had Zechariah as one of his teachers who encouraged him in the Lord. Um, not a teacher, but encourage him in the Lord is basically what it says. Um, and as long as he followed the Lord, he did well. well in that, so he did all this cool stuff. He rebuilt cities. He rebuilt up the army. He had, uh, he had archers at had all these other things. He bought armor for them all. And, and, um, it, and Judah under Uzziah really prospered. Um, but kind of in the middle there, something went wrong. Uzziah, like some of us, maybe all of us, maybe have the tendency to do, he got a little prideful about what he had accomplished. And one day, he decided that he himself was going to go into the temple and, um, uh, and offer the incense. And um, that job was re- re- re, what's that word? restricted, was, uh, was spelled out. Um, in the Old Testament law. That was only the job for the priests. That was what they were supposed to be doing. So King Uzziah marches in there and he starts offering it. And the high priest and everybody's coming and saying, uh, no, come on out of there. You don't, uh, yeah, you don't need to be in there. This is not not your job. And it says that, that while he was in there, that that leprosy, this is all in 2 Chronicles 26, that leprosy broke out across his forehead and, and said that they were really trying to get him out of there. Well, I guess when the leprosy broke out across his forehead, King Uzziah was also eager to get out of there. It's kind of funny the way it states it, but he realized, well, wow, yeah, I've, maybe I've messed up here. And uh, he turns around and leaves. And it says basically from that day on, he had to stay in a separate uh, house. He couldn't stay in the temple anymore because of the leprosy that the Lord struck him with because of his arrogance before the Lord that day. So when we turn to Isaiah chapter 6 and we read, in the year that King Uzziah died, there's a pretty tragic story about this. There was a great king that King Uzziah was, and I forgot to mention, I think, the coolest. One of the things that King Uzziah does, he, he built around the, the temple uh, or built around the city wall of Jerusalem. He fortified the walls and he built towers. This is a really cool thing. And he built devices to shoot arrows and to hurl large rocks. Don't, I love that. I don't, I don't know. That's kind of a uh, cool thing. So, so he built these devices by which the city could defend itself, which is really kind of cool. Um, Isn't that cool? When you see in the Bible, you see the history of mankind. You know, um, where you have this stuff that you you, we all see on the History Channel. It's so so kind of cool. I don't know something about weapons. Uh, I don't know. Um, Anyway, um, so um, Uzziah was was king over Israel for fifty two years, and at some point though he finally he he finally died. But uh, so here we go. In in uh, for fifty two years, Judah had had really prospered, and you know when when a when a nation lost a king, it was no small deal. I mean, it's a much bigger deal uh, than that it is now if, if we were to lose a president or we've lost presidents before. We have a structure in place, right? We, we have a process. We know what's going to happen. We'll vote for another, you know, the, the vice president will get the job and we'll eventually vote for another one. But in these days, when a king fell, it was a frightening time. You didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know who was going to rule. You didn't know how it was going to go. So uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, was a time of great uncertainty in the land of Judah. But here's what Isaiah says. In the king in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And by the way, in all the in all the distress and all the confusion, all the things that must have been going on in the lives of the of the people of Judah, what was the Lord doing? I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, with a, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know what I love about the stories of God and his sovereignty and his ruling and his authority? When Isaiah sees him, God's not up pacing the floor thinking, what are we going to do now? God's not up you know, wishing he had a cigarette because he's so nervous or anxious about how things are going now in the world because things are so terribly out of control. No, in perfect sovereignty and perfect rule and in perfect authority and being high and exalted above everything, there in, the, in, his, in, his, in his dwelling in heaven, he's seated on his throne, ruling over all creation, right? He's not stressed. This isn't hard for him. He's not breaking a sweat, right? This isn't difficult for him. He knows what's going to happen because of his sovereignty and because of his plan, um, and before we go on very much longer, I, that's one of the things I really wanted to, to, to talk about with you. So here we, we, have this, we have this incredible thing that we have in the Scriptures. We have several times where people had views of heaven, and in almost every one of those times, it, the thing that people see is, in, in all the things that must be in heaven, one of the things that stands out is the throne of God. It is His dwelling place, but it's not just His dwelling place. It's not just where his, He lives. It is the center of His power and authority and His position over all of creation, over all of creation and even the things that are uncreated, even, even heavenly and spiritual realms. And there he sits, enthroned upon it all. What we have here is a vision of God that is the highest, most prestigious uh, 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 authority in all of the universe. Amen? And, and Isaiah sees it, and it's recorded for you and I today. That's pretty, pretty special, isn't it? pretty incredible that the Lord would would show this to Isaiah and then we would be able to have it today. But one of the things that I don't want want you to walk away here, and it's something that, that Jamie's already hit in worship this morning, because the Lord rules in absolute sovereignty, we can rely on Him when things seem out of control here. You know what I mean? We were talking about this in Sunday school a little bit, but man, you know, there's some trouble in the Middle East. I just heard this morning, you know, I was at prom all night. it was just, you know, kind of like a clueless teenager. I had no idea what was going on, but yeah, a little trouble in the Middle East this morning. Uh, we have the, the trial of the abortion doctor, Gosnell, in Philadelphia, which is horrendous, just incredible things that were happening there. Uh, makes you, I know, I know, me too. Um, and, and you see the way our culture is going. You just think, Lord, things could not be more out of control. Things just seem to be headed to... Uh, you know, in places, in a handbasket, and it, it just doesn't seem like things right. Things are just chaotic. Things aren't going the way that they ought to be. Think People aren't turning towards you, Lord. What's going on? What are you doing? Here's what he's doing. He's seated on his throne in absolute control, in absolute authority, in absolute sovereignty. So when you're tempted to despair and when you're tempted to worry, when you're tempted to wonder where is God in all of this, he's ruling. Amen. He, he's ruling. He's reigning even today, even this morning, um, and, and there he is seated ruling over all of creation. So no matter what the times or circumstances look like to us, God is reigning. Amen? I, I, I love this. this is, you know, you see God in his natural state. Here you go. This is, this is, this is who he is. He, he rules and reigns like a judge over all the earth. Okay, in verse two. Above him were seated. Were, I'm sorry, not seated. Above him were seraphs. Seraphs are the word. Seraph means burning ones. I, I love that too. I think that's super cool. This was like their, their This is kind of what they look like in their in their. Um, 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 uh, their own majesty just as themselves as created beings of God. Ezekiel describes cherubim. Some people think they're different creatures. Some people think they're the same. But listen to this. In Ezekiel chapter 1, it describes a cherubim like this. It says, "...their appearance was like burning coals of fire." like appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures Ezekiel saw the living creatures there too the their fire was bright and out of the fire went lightning don't I love that don't you love that view so here we have you know this picture this view of God who's high and exalted on his throne and his temple is, is filling the the uh, or his his, his um, Train, sorry, his train is filling. We mentioned we were up late last night, and his train is filling the temple again, just describing his authority and his position. You know that God is a symbol of honor, is all a symbol of honor and authority. And here go some the cherubim around him, the burning ones who look like coal or lamps of fire um, surrounding him. And and here we go. So what are they doing? Each. With six wings, and notice what they were doing with their, with their wings. Two, with two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. So, so with two, they were covering their faces. Um, it's been suggested, perhaps, that they were, they were too lowly to look on the Lord, even though they're majestic, incredible, magnificent beings, more majestic, majestic than anything we've ever seen before. They cover their faces because they're too lowly to look on the holiness and the perfection and the majesty and the glory of God, right? And, and 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 with two of the other rings, they're they're covering their feet, right? A feet, a symbol of, of something imperfect, of something unclean. And they're they're even though they're 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 sinless beings, they're not like people. And even though these that serve in the in the in the in the temple of God are perfect, they cover their feet because they don't want anything even remotely deficient in his precious, in the presence of the King. And with two, they fly about and do their work. And what's their work? And they were calling to one another, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I love it. One of the things that Spurgeon says about the seraph, he says, The seraph remembers that even though he is sinless, he is still a creature, and therefore he conceals himself in his nothingness and unworthiness in the presence of the three times holy God. Don't you love that? That's great stuff. All right. Um so what are they doing? They're flying back and they're calling to each other. They're saying this. They're just constantly saying and declaring. There that goes. They're constantly, they're constantly declaring to each other, the Lord God, he is holy, holy, holy holy. What does holy mean? Holy means set apart. It means different. It means God is different from all the rest of all creation. He is not a part of it. You, you know, and, and you know, you and I can look at what's been going on in the, in the world. We can look about, about what's going on in, in our nature, and we, we know what's happening in creation, right? Creation has been bent and twisted and wrecked by sin. We see that, you know, what we've seen in the news this last week where, where the heart of a man has grown so cold, he's committing in infanticide, right? And, and just, just heartless, just unimaginable, uh, 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 you know, things that are going on. And to be thought that that's all been kind of protected by this kind of political correctness in our culture is, it, it, well, it kind of makes you want to puke, doesn't it? Um, and so all of creation has been struck, has been, has been um, affected by sin. But God, in His perfection, is holy and separate. And there's been nothing to mar his character, his personality. He's not changed. He's not been affected by sin like all creation. He is perfectly holy and perfectly set apart, perfectly distinct and different, not been wrecked by sin. He remains alive, pure, perfect, righteous. Yeah. So here we go. So um, first of all, let's talk about some responses. So we're going to talk about the responses this morning. First of all, we're going to talk about the response of the seraphs to to the, the vision of God. So let me let me get through reading in verse six. I'm sorry, verse four. At the sound of their voices, this is the voice of the cherub uh, or the seraphim there, that were there with God. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. One of the things that it talks about is the Old Testament temple. The Old Testament temple was built like the one, the real temple where God exists in heaven. Very similar. Isn't that kind of cool? Although I'm guessing the one in heaven much bigger in his and his train. Filled the temple, amazing. So, how do the uh, how how do the the seraphim how do they respond to God? First of all, they respond to God's majesty. They respond to His glory with humility and praise. Right? They cover their feet. They cover their faces in humility, and they respond with praise about the holiness of God. Always talking back and forth to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Okay, so that's his response. Now let's see what happens. Now so so that's their response to the to the majesty and the glory of God. Now let's look would you read with me in verse chapter in sorry, in verse 5. I'll slow down a little bit here. We're going to read verses 5 through 7 and we'll talk about Isaiah's response to the to the majesty of God there on his throne. In verse 5 it says, "Woe to me, I am ruined." This is, not a, this is not an unusual response to God. We know that in all the visions of God, that most of the people who are in the presence of God, it doesn't say that necessarily about Isaiah, but most of the people in the presence of God, John and Ezekiel, actually had to be helped back up. You know, they, they fell face down in his presence because of the awesome presence of God. It doesn't say that necessarily about Isaiah, doesn't say he doesn't, but, but um, this, this whole idea about being undone before God is not uncommon. We'll talk about that more. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. All right, so let's talk about that. So, Isaiah's response, he sees the holiness of God. He sees the glory and the majesty of God. And he says, Woe is me, I am undone. And the thing that he's most conscious of in that moment, and you know, you can imagine, you know, there's even a song out there, right, called I Can Only Imagine What I Would Do in the the Presence of the Lord. Well, here Isaiah doesn't have to imagine. Here's what happened to him he was undone, he was struck. By the holiness of God, and when he saw the holiness of God, and, and let me describe his holiness as much as I can, is it, it is a fearsome, voracious, uh, burning holiness. It is something to be afraid of, right? Now, I know when I grew up, there's so much emphasis on the grace of God, and I think that's great and it's appropriate. In about the last 10 or 12 years, there's been a real, a real push and a real resurgence, if I can use the word, uh, toward the glory of God. And I think that's been good for the church in both ways. We, you know, we kind of go to extremes, but it's, it's, it's important not to forget one or the other. God is ferociously holy. Do you hear me? It's why the Apostle Paul said that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's why the writer of Hebrews says things like, it's those who, who uh, per- persevere to the end who are saved. And he gives warnings to people to continue in their faith. Because, listen, no one here wants to face the Lord God in all of his ferocious holiness apart from Jesus Christ. Are you with me? And one of the things, one of the warnings, one of, one of the things that makes me very popular as a pastor That's sarcasm. One of the things that makes me so very popular as a pastor is when I see people who have given in to sin. Okay, now who struggles with sin? Me, you, yes, all of us, right? We all struggle with sin. Do you know that? But there's a big difference between struggling with sin and giving in to sin. When someone has crossed that line, and it's not neat and clean, it's not easy to tell. But when there's someone who claims to be a believer seems to have crossed over and said, "No, this is what I'm going to do. I don't care what the Bible has to say about it." Those who of you who are mature in your faith, this is right right out of Paul's writings in the epistles, have to step in and say, "I'm worried about where you're going." I, I, I want your faith to prove to persevere. I want it to show that it's gonna that it's going to persevere, and I want to you know, and we we want to see that in your life. But what I'm seeing in your life now is you're accepting a lifestyle of sin, and that doesn't look like a New Testament saint. So, and and you know, if I'm about to drive over a cliff, I, I want someone to stop me. You, yeah. If someone spiritually is about to drive over a cliff, it's the responsibility of those people who are more mature to step up and say, listen, you don't want to go here. You don't want to give in to this. You don't want to just forget and ignore all the holiness of God and just say, well, I'm saved and so I'm covered by grace, which I believe once you're saved, you're covered by grace. But in the end, if you claim to be a believer, yet you've given in to sin, I'm worried about you and you should be too. Amen? And we should all have that same concern. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. We should all have that same concern for each other, is that you don't give in to what you've been saved from. You don't go back to that. Amen? Uh, and, and we struggle against sin. But when someone gives up the struggle and says, this is just what I'm going to do, I don't care what the scripture has to say. I'm worried because God's holiness is fearsome And I don't want anyone to face the Lord on that day without Jesus Christ being an intercessor and say, I've covered him with my blood. He's one of mine, right? He's one of mine. And let me say, you know, I I believe once you're saved, you're always saved. But I believe, too, the writings in Hebrews and other places in the Scriptures where where, where, where Paul or the writer of Hebrews or whoever is warning people and saying, it's those who persevere who are saved, that's not there for no reason. Because some people won't persevere in their faith. And it will be proven all along that they were not truly believers. This is how I interpret it. You can interpret it differently if you want to. I really don't care. In the end, the point's the same. We all want to get to heaven in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't want to give in to sin. Amen? Okay. So that's for believers. How about for non-believers? You know, how do we respond in, in all this to, to God's believers, this fearsome holiness? You know, we think about Isaiah, who's a prophet of God. He's already serving the Lord God, and he's undone because of sin. Then what do we do for other believers? Listen, it's the same thing that, we, that was done for us when, whenever we fell under conviction for our sin, right? What did someone do? Someone showed you the remedy, right? Here's the remedy, is that the Lord Jesus died so that you can have his life, so that you wouldn't have to die in your sins. And his holy life becomes your life, and, and the death he died becomes your death, and you're freed and forgiven in your sins just by faith in what he's done. And that's the point and the purpose. And, and notice here uh, just this beautiful thing, how this ends in verse 7, where it says, your guilt is taken away and your sin is what? Atoned for. That word atonement means a covering, is covering over of our sin, right? What God was doing here in Isaiah was a foreshadowing or a foretelling of what would happen with the Lord Jesus Christ by which everyone could find redemption and salvation and forgiveness of sins. Listen, this is the plan. The the reason it's here in Isaiah, the reason it's there in the Gospels, the reason it's there in Paul's letters, the reason it's there in all of the prophets is because this plan of redemption, this plan of salvation, is the theme of the Scriptures. This is what it's all about right here is the, the method by which, the plan by which God would bring salvation and we would restore what was broken in the fall so that people could be forgiven for their sins. And thank God He found me. Amen? Found you too? Amen? It's good to be on this side, isn't it? But okay. So um, here we go. So, the response to God's majesty again. So the seraphim responded with humility and praise. Isaiah responds with confession of his sin and the sin of his people. The Lord atones for him. He, he, he has the, the seraph um, uh, touch his mouth with a coal and cleanses his sin. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you about just really quickly, and, I'll, and we'll be done, is this really quickly in verse, verse 8. Look to see uh, verses 8 and 9. Look to see, now, how does the Lord respond now? Now that Isaiah has come to him, he's been convicted of his sin, and the Lord has taken away his sin, how does the Lord now respond to Isaiah? Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. So God's response to the sinner, here's God's response. First, he responds by taking away Isaiah's guilt in holiness, in purity, in righteousness. And then finally, God's calling to this cleansed sinner now that that Isaiah's been cleansed. He says, I send you. Go for us. I I send you. You know, there's something here I think that's so important for us to grasp as New Testament believers now is this, is that God's willingness and desire to use people in his plan is is incredible. But first, there's got to be a cleansing. First, there's got to be a purifying. First, there's got to be one where, where He calls us to Himself, where, where He makes us His own, and that happens through salvation. But once you get there, there's something to do. Are you with me? Once we're there, once we've been cleansed, once we've been washed by, by the gospel, once we've been cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, once we've come into faith in Him, there's something to do. And so, how I want to end this today is, is just, just this. Since he's cleaned, cleansed you, since he's redeemed you, has that inspired your life? If this is the theme of, of all the scripture, has it taken a hold of your heart? Do, do you know what he's done? Do you see the plan that he's carried out to bring about salvation in your life and, and countless millions or billions of other people where he's carried out his plan? Uh, listen, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, there's just not enough time to, to go into all of this, but he's saved you from sin. He is ferociously holy. He is anti-sin, 100%. Could not be more starkly against sin. There's no political correctness in his voice. You're not going to find that in the Word. He calls out sin, sin, and yet he made a sacrifice for you and I that we might be forgiven that you might walk and know his grace. Now, why wouldn't we want to do that in the lives of other people? Why wouldn't we want to be a part of that plan? Why wouldn't we want to play a part in that in the lives of other people? So I just want to ask you this week, as you think about it, and I do pray that you would be, just be thinking and pondering through these verses as you read in Isaiah this week, just, to, just have this prayer in the back of your mind all day long. Lord, would you send me? Would you send me now? You've saved me. You've shown me your great salvation. You've shown me this, the great way that you, that you take away people's sins. And, and you've shown me what it's like where I don't have to face you in fear of your holiness. Would you now do that through me in the life of somebody else? Um, it, it, it can look like a 100,000 different things. It could just be a visit... To someone. It could be to serve someone well, just in, 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 in love, just to do something for someone who can't do for themselves. It may look like a word where you're like, like Isaiah, where you're supposed to speak a word to someone about, about the Lord and, and about what he's done. Uh, but it could look a hundred thousand different ways as he, as he gifts us all differently and he calls us all differently. But when he calls, will you go? Would you just be obedient? when you feel the Lord prompting you? And, and listen, if you ask Him, say, Lord, would you send me? He's going to say yes. He's going to give you something. Would you just have the courage to follow through? Would you just have the belief in Him? Say, look, you know, I don't feel very confident all the time, and I don't know where this is going to end up. I don't know how this is going to be. I've got a lot of things I'm unsure about here. But would you just, like Isaiah said, I'll go. Send me. Send me. Let's pray, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we, as, we, as we look here in the story of Isaiah and we, we see him coming, this incredible encounter where he gets to, to be in your presence and he sees the majesty uh, of, of who you are and is just undone before you. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that you made provision for his sin. You made provision for our sins. And somehow there, Lord, in your majesty, you transformed his life. You, you, you called him to give his life away, to do something much larger than himself, something much greater than himself, to give himself um, over to you, over to your majesty, over to your plan. And Lord, I pray for all of us. Would you inspire us all to join you in our work, in your work? Would you inspire us all? Can we just catch the same vision that Isaiah had and, and just uh, remember your majesty, remember the, the greatness of your plan, Take away our sin so that, so that we would have an and intermediary who would come I and cover our sin and to take it away. The may we be instruments, Lord of God, of your grace in the lives of the people. Uh, I pray this week as we pray, Lord, would you send us, sacrifice. would you send us out to do your work, would you send us to carry out your plan, Lord God, in people at our work, in our schools, Lord God, wherever we go, that so we may be a part of what we do Father, we thank you for the honor. We thank you for the honor, the privilege of serving you. Pray you to be with us this week. Jesus' great name. Amen. Thank you, y'all. Have a great week. Great to see you.